Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. In this episode, we are going to finish the series on the four loves that we started many moons ago. And that was a while ago. When was Sorry that? about that. Do you remember when that was? <laughs> January. It was like January was it the or February. Of the year? Yeah. We recorded it, was... it in Christmas break. And then we oh were going to intersperse them throughout the season, but you know, our lives all got a little crazy. Yeah. Yes. That is accurate. But so we're going to finish that today. And so discuss what's going on in the fourth chapter, which is about charity, or I think we could say God's love, like godly love. Agape. Agape. I listened to the C.S. Lewis doodle. <laughs> The other day, uh, it's that YouTube channel where the yeah. guy draws and annotates, and he had Lewis. So Lewis has done the four loves, and then he has a, a tap chapter on charity in Mere Christianity, mm. and he gave like a broadcast talk. And so you have a recording of Lewis, and he he says agape. It's really interesting That's, how it, that is interesting. It's, cool. it's it's a different pronunciation, you know. Those it's Oxford like Vav boys, and wow, right? It's those just, Oxford boys don't know their Bibles. Come on. <laughs> nope. But listener, Tim Little is giving us the biggest eye rolls ever when I said agape. <laughs> so that's so, agape for you Greeks out there. Before we do that, where we talk about agape and the four loves, <laughs> we have some other things to do. And even before our normal thing that we always say, we have some contest winners to announce. If I had like a sound of like some applause, I would insert that here, but Yay. I'm a horrible producer, so we're not going to have that. I mean, so we asked a while back for no comment. <laughs> Good. Uh, Good. Good. We, we asked for a while back for Thinklings haikus. I don't remember the context of this, but we asked for Thinklings haikus. One person would win the free copy of the four of loves. The four loves. That is what we do remember. Yes. And so we do have a winner and we have two runners up that are all going to get some free books, which is a great reason for you to email us things when we ask you to email us Amen. things. And so maybe we need to have something like that at the beginning of the episode rather than the end. But anyway, so the winner of the Four Loves Haiku Contest is Heather Taylor. And insert applause sound. And uh, I am going to read her haiku. Thinklings group of three, not navel contemplating, (laughs) but speak books and creed. And uh, really thought that so the the navel gazing thing was a comment we had a while back. That was really good, oh, brother. And so incorporated some nice thinking stuff there, and then it kind of even rhymed, uh, like uh, yeah. the first and the last line. So Heather, congratulations! You have won a C.S. Lewis signature classics volume. Has a whole bunch of. Are you gonna clap? Are you wanna clap? Hey! I don't know if you can hear that, but they are clapping for you. And Tim did it with sincerity. That's a victory. <laughs> So eye rolls are sincere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this has mere Christianity, the screw tape letters, miracles, the great divorce, the problem of pain, a grief observed, the abolition of man, and the four loves. Man, those and are so, all his good ones. Um, yeah, it's Heather, if classics. you're hearing this, please send us uh, an address we can mail this to, or if you're in the area ever, you want to stop in at the, uh, Faith Book Store. at the Faith Bookstore, we will make sure that it's there for you. And then let's get to the runners-ups. And uh, the runners-ups... Runner ups. I don't know how to say that. Words are hard. Uh, are 
That is fast becoming your quote, Charlie. Words are hard. <laughs> Words are hard. So in last week or two weeks ago's yeah, episode, you, you said then. a thing about like, oh, Charlie has learned skills. And I laughed so hard when I heard that. Well, there's a runner up. How can you have multiple runners up? They well, both ran up. They're tied for they're tied it's like for there's second. A hill. They're tied there's for second. Winners. There's a hill so, and they're running up the hill. Yeah. Anyway, the runner up number one <laughs> is Jeff Matterm. And we're not going to read your haiku, but it was wonderful, Jeff. And then the other runner up was Robin Meyer. And so <laughs> what, what you need to do is we have two books. We have a copy of The Four Loves and we have The Chronicles of Narnia in one volume. And uh, just full disclosure, the Chronicles of Narnia and the Signature Classics oh. of C.S. Lewis had some defects to them, which is why the bookstore graciously donated them to our cause. Because <laughs> they were donated to the bookstore. Uh, yes. and But the, the Four Loves is a new copy of the Four Loves. And yes. so between Jeff and Robin, you just need to send us an email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com, and tell us which one of those you want. And the first person that responds gets what they want, and then the other one gets the other one. And then with that, if you could tell us how we could get those books to you, if you want to stop in and pick them up, or you want them to mail them, want us to mail them, we'll do either of those. And just be warned, uh, if you pick the Chronicles of Narnia, they are in the chronological order, which is the wrong order. So if you'd like, I will personally scratch out the numbers in the table of contents <laughs> and tell you the correct order from publication. And I'll even go to the chapters and be like, read this chapter. Now go here. It'll be like a choose your own adventure, but I'll put all the marks in there if you want. Why don't you just do that? I think you just should do that. Should I should do, just, okay, yeah, I'll just do, do that. Stearns yeah. will put it in the publication order for there you. you go. I will like say your own choose I was at a get together with some of my friends the other night and I was made fun <laughs> of for, and, and I like, it was like a little quip about like, Oh, did you know why you need to read the Chronicles of Narnia in publication order? It's because in the first book, you don't know who Aslan is. And you kind of get this like, oh, who's Aslan? And they were like facetiously talking. And what? they're like, Charlie says this all the time. <sighs> and I think I had a great uh, quip back to them, which was like, hey, I think it's a good thing to be made fun of for reading books. What about you guys? I, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I will at this point then insert... You know why you want to read them in publication order? It's because in the first book, you don't know who Aslan <laughs> Can I say something about this? You yeah. are so, horrendous. Uh, longtime listener, Evan Dexter, out in the West. Shout out to Evan. Uh, he messaged me and he started reading the Lord, or the, the Chronicles of Narnia with uh, his uh, wife and kids. And they did The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first because they heard it on our podcast. So he just reached out to say, what's the next one? And I really think that as long as you get, I was thinking about this, as long as you get The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first, you really capture everything I think you're going to miss going chronological. And then if you did adjust a little. Yeah. Yeah. Just you know, put Magician's Nephew good. at the end. Yeah. yeah it's, I, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I actually think I could make a compelling argument for going Narnia, Caspian, Horson, his boy. Oh, yeah. Because you've, you've interacted yep. with mm -hmm. the Pevensies primarily up to that point, And then the horse and his boy gives you yep. kind of the same <clears throat> flavor differently. But. You know, just, just, you know, whether you read them one to seven, eight, seven. seven. Well, and the other thing though, is he's using, the other thing I just remembered is they make a compelling case that like each book represents one of the seven planets in heaven, like mm. the heavens from the medieval era. So I guess that's another thought we should bring into it. So anyways, we digress. If we start talking about planets, we're going to start talking about the space trilogy. So we have four loves to talk about. Okay. Soul. So. 
we we aren't going to do books and business, but we are going to do book and business. So I still think it is appropriate. We do have some thinklings business to tend to. Book and business. Book and business. Let's A-G-A-P-E. talk about A G A P E. There you go. There was that was wanna, CS himself. Should we put that clip at the beginning of the episode? Yes. <laughs> it's like uh, the Chris- A means friendship. Eros E R O S is of course. <laughs> he spells it. And agape A G A P E. I'm not sure if that really picks up Andy, sense. but we'll. Oh man, listener, <clears throat> I hope you could hear that. It's pretty. Just they can Google it. Yeah, yeah. C.S. Lewis Doodle. It's good. It's so, a great little channel. Book and business. Let's talk about the book, The Four Loves, and we are in the fourth chapter on charity. The sixth chapter, but yeah. the fourth the, of the, fourth the loves. Little, yeah. Yep. You, yeah. Sorry about that. We're just with, yeah. if the listener's trying to follow. Guess sorry. what I'm going to say. Words Numbers are hard. Are hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what's good. This is great. This is so. so great. Uh, let me. I'm going to start us off and just kind of give us a, a structure of what Lewis is kind of covering in the chapter. Just a very rough. It's not meant to be comprehensive, but the the three previous loves that he's talked about: affection, friendship, and eros. And he's given some categories of like gift love and need love and like love of appreciation and things like that. Those all come back in this last chapter, and he essentially says like those natural loves. They're good, but they're all subservient, in a sense, to this last love, this agape, the, the love of God, which is, which is a very specific gift love. And he gives us an illustration to think this through, and he uses a garden. And he's like, all these natural loves are like the work in the garden that we would do. Like you're going to plant the seeds like we are the gardeners. Mm-hmm. We're going to plant the seeds and we're going to, it's springtime and we're going to get, re- yeah, perfect. We're cultivating. And, uh, so you're, you're going to plant, you're going to pull the weeds and you're going to put fences up. So the rabbits and the deer don't bite off the little buds and you're going to, you know, maybe water it and you're going to put fertilizer. You're doing all of those things. You're doing it. And he says, those things like a gardener would do are the natural loves. They're not bad. You want to do them so that your garden is good. In fact, those might even enhance, you know, the efficacy of the garden in a sense. Like you, you, you would put the work in, in those ways to, to put a garden together. But you can do all of that work and there's something in the process of that garden that you can't do on your own. And that's the growing of the garden. The roots going down mm-hmm. and the fruit coming out. We don't do that. And you can never do that. And he, that in his illustration is God's love. And that growing, which is the love of God, makes all the other natural loves make sense. Mm-hmm. Why would you do all those other things like putting the fence up and da 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 da? Why would you have friends and why would you love your puppy and why would you love your wife or your husband? Well, it's the love of God, his charity for us, that makes all of that other stuff fit. Mm-hmm. If, the, if that's an appropriate way to say it. And and I thought that was interesting because he called him, did he, I don't think he said this up to this point, and that was what was so sh- surprising and helpful is, I don't think he had grouped them yet as all the natural loves. Yeah, no. But when he said the natural loves, it it helped me because, remember we were going through each of the three chapters, and, and we, were, we were we kept thinking, boy, there's a lot of good here, but there's this like, this this part, uh, yeah. Now it all makes sense, and I I think as a listener, 
sorry, we should have gotten to this much sooner. <laughs> yeah. This is the one I think all three were driving. And, at. and, and I think he does it really well to like yes. bring it yes. together at the end. It really so, was good. Really then how the, uh, he has a little digression of like why he waited. He actually addresses that. Mm -hmm. Why did he wait to the yeah. end of the book to tie everything together? And he gave two reasons of why he delayed, uh, to the end to, uh, talk about God's love versus the natural loves. And we're not going to get into that. Um, he then really, the rest of the chapter is speaking to what he calls the rivalry of the, of the natural loves. He, he refers to them. I think it's on page 152 in our copy of, uh, these natural loves are second things, which that's mm -hmm. an, an essay of Lewis okay. first things. And so he's, these natural loves are secondary things to God's love, which is the thing. And he's not saying like, it's a, it's a one or the other. Like you have God's love exclusively and you can never have friends or erotic love or affections for things, but go back to the garden. All of the things work mm -hmm. together when the love of God is present. And uh, so the rivalry of the second loves uh, compared to God's love. And he, he starts talking about that on page 153 and then kind of bats that, those ideas around for quite a bit. And uh, he uses an illustration from Augustine about friendship. Like, well, if you have a good friend and he dies, uh, well, mm -hmm. it was it was it wasn't wise for you to have that friend. You shouldn't have had it. Like, you wouldn't you would have saved the heartbreak. And and Lewis does not like that and bats that idea around quite a bit of like, no, like in the realm of God's love, you do have natural loves and you should be okay with them. And we would, as we often say, it's not about the presence of or lack of presence of sometimes, it's the ordering mm -hmm. of those affections and loves that becomes very important. So I, on that point, I didn't, maybe I misunderstood. I wasn't so sure I agreed with Lewis there, but was, I thought mm -hmm. Augustine was saying that the love for his friend was supplanting the love for God. Yeah. And that's why yep. it was such a devastating experience well, so lewis I, I think he says that the medieval man didn't look at the love of other human beings as a threat to not love the humans enough it was that they could you could love a human so much you they like came in between you and your love for god, god right so i think for him when he was like this broken up over his friend he thought oh man i should have loved god more i think that was part well, of what he here's, was saying. here's the quote in words which can still bring tears oh, to the eyes do you want to give us a page number 153 okay uh, in oh, words which can <laughs> right still there. bring tears to the eyes, St. Augustine describes the desolation in which the death of his friend Nebridius plunged him. Confessions number four, page 10, or unit 10. Then he draws a moral. This is what comes, he says, of giving one's heart to anything but God. All human beings pass away. Do not let your happiness mm -hmm. depend on something that you may lose. If love is to be a blessing, not a misery, it must be for the only beloved who will never pass away. So don't give your heart to a friend. Hmm. Okay, that's not the way of I Of course, this it. is excellent sense. He's like, yeah, that sounds and good. sense is like judgment. Like, sensible, like, reasonable. Yeah, reasonable, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Lewis, the next paragraph on 154. Of course, this is excellent sense. Don't put your goods in a leaky vessel. <laughs> I, I, like I didn't, I, I see what Lewis is saying there, but yeah. I didn't understand uh, Augustine in that way. I thought that he had overvalued the love for his friend above God, and that was the failure. Yeah, I, I think I think he's emphasizing the, like, so. It sounds hyperbolic, but 
you can't love anything but God. Yeah. And I think Lewis is saying, no, the garden's going to grow and there's natural loves that help that garden. It's a part of the growing, but they cannot take the place of the growing. Yeah. It is, it is not that you need to remove the other love. It's you order them rightly. Well, and you can, you can go out and throw some seeds on the ground and will they grow? Sure. But it's interesting how far you take his metaphor. But if you build some nice fences and you cultivate the soil and da 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 da, da you might see more growth. And so interesting how the natural loves could become a an avenue, an expression of God's love working themselves out in someone's life. And he does go on to say, "You probably we were probably just cutting you off, Charlie. Sorry." Yeah, because he goes on to talk about the risk. He's not like a risking individual. Right. He likes safety. And right. So I, I think that's why he took Augustine's quote in the way that like, oh, don't love anyone so much. Yeah. Well, so. he, and he, he continues down that road for quite a while. And he's like, well, what about in the Bible when it says to hate someone? Does it oh, mean yeah. that he's exalting the idea of actually hating someone? And he builds on that idea. He's like, no, it's not that like God legitimately hates Esau. But he says he's it's so good. It's he's choosing the one that in a, is in accord with God's plan to love Jacob is to know that Jacob is the one that will be the patriarch and hating Esau isn't like an effectual hating. It's like, but you're not in this position. And and so he, he, he walks through, he gives some examples. I think he broadens out the point he's making. And so really, really good things there. And then I have one. There's the page. So. He's going to start then... What page number? Uh, 164, or 163, 164. I think he eventually kind of ends the chapter by describing these five categories of gift love that are mm. a part of God's love. Number one is the built-in gift love of us where we objectively love lovely things. Two is the divine gift love to uh, love objectively unlovable things. And this is specifically speaking to where God can change my heart and I would actually love something that isn't objectively lovable, like a widow, an orphan, a sinner, and that is uniquely a God gift love because that's what Christ did for us. And um, there's a, a really beautiful um, quote somewhere in here where he, he describes um, Jesus work for us. Where is it? Oh man. Yeah, here we go. And this is on page 162. God who needs nothing loves into existence, holy superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already for seeing, or should we say seeing there are no tenses in God already seeing the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the mesial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of the back and arms as it is time after time, for breath's sake, hitched up. If I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that, uh, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. Hmm. 
awesome quote. And that's where I think he, at the bottom of 163, starts then breaking down the, the gift love of God into the categories. One, built-in gift love. Two, the divine gift love that enables us to love things unlovable. Three, the divine love where he works in our heart to love him that we don't naturally love. So his own gift love where he meets our need turns us into gift lovers where we love him objectively. And then he, uh, at the bottom uh, of 165, he then starts talking about supernatural need love and he he starts uh, getting into two further categories of of need loves uh, to end the chapter, but so it's a rough outline there. Mm-hmm. And I read that that chapter where he's like, you know, what is love? Here's God who freely creates, already seeing the flies that are swarming the body of His Son on the cross. I'm like, mm. wow, that's a mm. picture. So that's my favorite quote I think from the chapter. Uh, kick it over to you guys. What do you think? Thoughts? So I think what, sorry, I think what was most helpful for me was as we went through affection, number one, if I had to pick my favorite of the first three loves, the natural loves, it's a toss up between affection and friendship. But I really think I, I was very helped by the affection chapter just because I was starting to think about different types of love in life. But I do remember as we went through those chapters thinking, so wait, am am I supposed to have this love or not? Like I couldn't, I I kept kind of in not knowing what to do. Well, I remember even as we were, I think some of it was on mic and some of it was off mic. Yeah. We were discussing like, well, what's his position on Eros? Is he saying this Mm -hmm. is okay? Is he saying this is bad? Mm -hmm. And I think now reading the last chapter, it's almost like he's deliberately not making moral claim. Yes. Because then he's like, as long as, and this is, you know, Tim, you should be the one saying this. As long as you fear the Lord, that will help you in a wise way order the other affections. And I know you, you probably stated it a little differently, but. No, I think that's good. But I do think for me, that was the most helpful part of this chapter. I will say, I, I think this book is going to be a second pass book for me where I need to go, like, give it some time, and I need to go back and read through it again. Because I do think he, in my mind, he was bumping walls out wider, and he was tearing down some stuff and rebuilding it. So I've got, it, like, my brain was creaking, you know, in Doug Wilson's term. Um, but the when it came to this chapter, he really tied it all together really well, I thought. Because if if you have the proper love of God, I think it makes all the other ones fit well. But if you don't have the proper love for God, then you are like the lady who pours all her affection love into the dog or uh, like all those negative cons- negative the mom examples. mom who really loves her kids, but And her kids not... are like happy when she's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like very <clears throat> yeah. quote unquote loving mom, like a very yep. doting mom. Yes. But because she's not truly controlled by mm-hmm. the love of God, it becomes a very selfish need love rather than a gift love. Yeah. So I think for me, that was the most, if you're like, what's the most helpful part in this chapter? I think seeing how he related agape love or charity or God's love to all the other loves was very helpful because it put them, it it was, it was almost like none of them could stand on their own, but then with agape love of God, the fear of the Lord, whatever you want to say, I think they, they, they had a proper place 
and they had a proper fit. And then I can see, okay, that's how it fits in life. So I thought the book was helpful in that regard. I, I, well, I'll, I have a question about like what we think overall, how, how much a Christian needs to read this book at the end. We'll, we'll bring that up later, but Tim, what you want to jump in with anything or. <clears throat> well, as I first was working through, I didn't really like the rivalry idea. Um, after we've mm. talked about it here, I, it makes more sense to me. Uh, really, the the rivalry is the rivalry within one's hearts, one's heart, uh, mm. the rivalry for love for God, which needs to be supreme, um, and if in our flesh, which desires other loves. Mm -hmm. So I get it now, but. But I guess when I think through love, as far as like that full orbed picture of love, I don't think of it as a rivalry. So maybe that's why when I first worked through it, I didn't like the, the, uh, metaphor, um, simply because the similarities in love, uh, between one's love for God and one's love for one's child, one's love for one's spouse, one's love for one's friend are harmonious, so I, I was, I was kind of so, taken aback by that, but it's really just a matter of perspective because the love for God, if it is supreme, correctly defines the love for friend and the love for spouse and the love for child. Yeah. And so after you, our discussion here, uh, that kind of, kind of helped me, I think. And I think I would, I would use the, I think you're right. Like the rivalry isn't like these four entities are battling with each other. This is internal. Mm -hmm. It's, it's essentially like my flesh warring against my, like God's desires, the spirit. like the spirit. Yeah. And so I think a better word would be instead of rivalry, I would say like competition, like the need mm -hmm. loves will come into competition with God's love. And am I going to do what's like, and he, he talks about that. He, yeah. he specifically addresses like, well, what happens when I have this need, excuse me, not need love, a natural love that's in competition, mm -hmm. that's rivaling. He's like, well, yeah. am I going to obey God's yep. love? He talks about that and it's yeah. really good. And I thought of you because he said, he, he said it in such a way that you have these other loves, but when, when you see which love is primary, it's when they become in like competition mode, mm -hmm. which again... And going like to your work that you're working on right now for your book, like how do I see what's in me? There's a trial. And so when you There's have a, loves pitted against one another, it shows you where's your true allegiance. And I, I ask students in class to define what a trial is. Like, let's make a basic definition of what a trial is. And what I try to lead them to is a trial is anytime I don't get what I want. Anytime I have a natural desire, which, by the way, Jesus had natural desires and didn't sin. He was hungry. He was tired, yep. et cetera. And those came in, like, he, he has a struggle. And in those moments, how do you still obey? <laughs> and um, anyway, I, I think, so Andy, you have a question that you want to pose to both of us. Sure. I have a question I want to pose to Tim. And it's really like, did you see this? Because Tim and I were having a, com a conversation yesterday. And it fits into some of this. So. On page 160, he's talking about finding a spouse. Did you catch that, Tim? Uh, I don't think so. So, um... He mentions Lovelace. I wasn't sure what he was well, talking about so there. So, is this where... Yeah. So, he's, he's, he's talking about, like... Um, so, he has, he has this quote. 
How this, and this is one, bottom 159 now, how this could come about, we may see on a far lower level. Uh, with he, He's going to quote this poem. And the poem is, uh, a man to his mm-hmm. mistress, it says. Oh, the honor yep. thing. Yeah. yeah. I mm-hmm. could not love thee, dear, so much. Loved I not honor more. It reminded me of Boyd and the great books discussion we had on. Um, yeah. Well, I can't remember who it was. So, so it's the man telling mm-hmm. the woman. I actually couldn't love you the way you want me to love you if I didn't love this virtue more. And you can see the comparison. If I don't love God and have God, God's mm-hmm. love controlling me, I actually can't effectively love in an erotic way, natural love. So it's almost like the other loves are dependent on the agape love. Did you say dependent or deponent? I said dependent. Oh. <laughs> Maybe we'll find some middle ground here. Oh. Um, so, that was, but keep keep Charlie, reading. Charlie, you, guys are you so get two horrendous. gold stars for that one. <laughs> so, okay, my point though, let's keep reading that. Sorry. There are women to whom the plea would be meaningless. You could tell them that, like, you really want me to love you, but there's another virtue that controls me more definitively than my love for you, and it's my love for God. There are women to which that would be a meaningless plea. Honor would be just one of those silly things that men talk about. A verbal excuse for, therefore, an aggravation of the offense against love's law, which the poet is about to commit. Loveless can use it with confidence because his lady is a cavalier lady who already admits, as he does, the claims of honor. She understands, like the man, that there's something more important than their romantic affection. Keep going. He does not need to, quote, hate her, which he had a big discussion about love and hate earlier. Right. He doesn't need to hate her to set his face against her because he and she acknowledge the same law. They have agreed and understood each, uh, understood each other on this matter long before. The task of converting her to a belief in honor is not now, now when the decision is upon them, to be undertaken. It is this prior agreement which is so necessary when a far greater claim than that of honor is at stake. It is too late when the crisis comes to begin telling a wife or a husband or a mother or a friend that your love all along had a secret reservation under God or as far as higher love permits. So you like you this is a discussion that the man and the woman have already had mm-hmm. that there's another love that's more important mm-hmm. than their romantic love right. and they've agreed on it. And then he talks about vetting. They ought to have been warned, they being either the man or the woman, about the other. Not to be sure explicitly, but by the implication of a thousand talks, by the principle revealed in a hundred decisions upon smaller matters. That's so good. Indeed, a real disagreement on this issue should make itself felt early enough to prevent a marriage or a friendship from existing at all. To put it in Tim's words, if the woman fears the Lord, and you can agree on that, great. That's the biggest thing. If they don't, why are you wasting your time? Amen. If, if they can't agree on that, you know, and it's funny, you know, I don't think it takes a thousand conversations <laughs> and I don't think it, it takes, takes the right one. <laughs> and I don't think I have to observe a girl make a hundred decisions, but you should know. So it's just interesting because we, Tim and I last night before we are recording this, we're having this conversation. Um, I, I, I don't think that that really solves the, the disagreement we had, but I think he's talking about that. Mm. I do like that though, because I think. A person could say, like, uh, say this guy's dating a girl or vice versa. And the friends are like, yee, I don't know about this. And they bring it up to the one of them. 
and the person dating the other one says, no, I've asked them. They say this. Lewis is also saying they say this, but then in all the little things when they live it out. So I thought that was like a total, it, it's not the main point of the passage, but that's like really good. Um, just general advice in life. I, I thought that was just, I mean, if so classic, if, good Lewis, I feel like if we had CS Lewis sitting here and we were to ask him, so how should a young man or a young woman find a spouse? I think he would say agape. Well, Sorry, agape. Yeah, agape. <laughs> they need agape. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, he wouldn't say that, but no. I think he would say, well, do you agree that the love of God is the most important thing? That what God says is more important than your romantic affection. And if you can't agree on that, hmm. don't waste your time. Hmm. Because you're, you're, you're going to, when the crisis comes and you have to choose between honor or mm -hmm. love of God and your love of that person, if you can't agree now, you're not going to agree then and you're going to mm -hmm. have conflict. So I, pretty cool. I understand I, that love for God is being interpreted as keeping God's commandments. It, yes. Mm -hmm. Obeying. Obeying yes. what God has said. Yep. Right. Yep. <clears throat> so yeah, that was my question for Tim, which I don't think I actually ever phrased it as a question. So I'll say, did you notice <laughs> that he said this on that page? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't say that was the most Charlie question I've ever heard. <laughs> Let me ask you a question and then proceeds to talk for 10 minutes and never ask a question. <laughs> It was a worthy insight, and I hope our listeners benefited from that discussion. It was good. So, Andy, what, what's your question? <clears throat> well, my my uh, my my question might be good at the end, but I just want to know: Do you guys think Christians should read this book to learn about love? It's not my first book. Why or why not? Good question. It's very philosophical. Okay. And um. I don't, there are some things that he says that I don't really care for. Okay. Uh, particularly in the Eros section. But the friendship component is what's really beneficial okay. of this book. I will say, I think the friendship chapter was very strong. So if you qualified it as far as like to, to discuss or learn or, or to think about friends and mm -hmm. love between friends, I would probably put it at the top of the list. I don't think I know of a better book on the friendship topic. But but some of the the rivalry and and uh, the the proportion of the loves, um, and the lack of Bible, I I would probably okay. go for something else. Okay, what do you I've think? Got, I've got two answers. One, I've got two answers too. And I'm about to make some caveats. Oh, I love your caveats. <laughs> I think it really depends on how and why they're going to read it. Okay. So why are you reading it? If you're looking to learn, like in a, to to grow spiritually in love, I th you just go to the Word of God. Amen. And we would all agree there. Are you reading my notes? <laughs> and and so, but I would the the way I would explain that is I think there's a good, better, best. Mm -hmm. Is it good to read something like this? Sure. Is there a better option? Probably. What's the best option? Well, read about love from the Bible. That's the best option. So is it good for a Christian to read this? I think it is good, but I think there might be some better mm -hmm. and a best option to like read that. about love. That being said, I, I think Lewis in general is always worth your time. But that gets me to the, how are you going to read it? And I, I'm not sure that everyone would benefit from just grabbing it and trying to read it on their own. I totally agree. Totally I think agree. you should. I mean, that, that, in part, that's why we're doing a podcast on it to help explain it. 
but I think you should read it with someone who can guide you through it or listen to it or, or yes. Yeah. I got (laughs) to I have a comment about that later. And so I I think, I think how you read it is important to what Mm. you're going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've all, the three of us have mutually benefited from reading it and analyzing it and critiquing it together. And had I done it on my own, I don't think I would have gotten what I got out of it because I received insights from Tim and Andy. Mm -hmm. And then it even synthesizes to other things we've talked about. And so, I mean, you know, maybe you should just read good books and talk about them with your friends. It sounds like a good idea. Really does. Yeah. Um, So I would say, yes, it is good, but there's probably a better and a best. Okay. Not the probably there is a better and a best. There's other things that would probably be more accessible. And uh, obviously the Bible is is best. But if you are still going to read it because it is good, I would recommend reading it with someone and with the help of others to help you understand it uh, correctly. Okay. I like that. So you, your answer is really similar. So my question is, should a Christian read this? And I have a both a no answer and a yes answer. So I have two. You're like, I have two answers. Me too. My number one, my no is no. I would say this is not my primary book I recommend on love, which is where I'm basically saying what you just said, Tim. And I would say if you, what, what should your primary book on love, you want to learn about love, what should you read? Just read the Gospels or the New Testament or the Old Testament. I would just say, I think there are, you could read the Gospel of John. You could read an epistle. You could read something in the Old Testament. And I think any of that would serve you better as a Christian in your day-to-day walk with God. I don't think this works against your walk with God. I'm not saying that. And I, there are some issues that we would disagree with it, but I would say on the whole, this is helpful, but I would not make it my discipleship text to walk someone else through. It's not where I would go to learn that said, having walked the Christian life for some time, having thought about these things for a bit, is there a reason you would listen to or read this book? And I would say yes, because I think it was really good for my mind and the life of the mind. You do have to think about it. And I think the discussion part is good for thinking and analysis. And I do think when you dig down into Lewis, there are nuggets that are worth worth their, their effort to dig in and mine into his words. I also think he's a good writer and a good thinker. And so as you think along with him and try to understand him, it does help you to be a better thinker and your thoughts is your mind and your mind is what the Bible calls your heart. And so since our heart is what we're supposed to love God with, we love God with our mind. So, so I do think this is good, but I wouldn't make it my primary text. And I think I would agree with both of you. So go ahead, Tim, you got your hand up here. So as we think through the shaping of the affections and how the spirit of God works through the word of God to do that, it's a very intellectual endeavor. As we think through Romans 12, one and Mm -hmm. two, if you read a book like Four Loves, what it can do is help to dethrone idols in your heart and expose them. Yes. So that's where I think some of the value uh, can come from. Uh, We're very good at deceiving ourselves into thinking, oh, I really do love my children. I really do love my spouse. But then without even realizing it, I love my children. We actually elevate those loves above God and and we've committed (laughs) idolatry and don't even realize it. So so what four loves I think can do, especially if you're reading it with particularly an older individual um, that has maybe a little bit more discernment, some of those idols can actually be exposed as you think about love and how much you love God or how much you love some of these other things. And one more comment. 
And if you read a book like this and you are ever tempted to think, well, it seems like what he said right there isn't biblical. Whether you're right or you're wrong in your assessment, go with the Bible. Amen. <laughs> like, Amen. You're like, hmm, I'm not sure what Lewis is saying there. I think he's saying this, and that seems kind of funky to me. You know, go with the Bible. He, and I will, my last thing is I will just quote him uh, from this chapter if I can find it. <laughs> I marked it. Because he, he says something to that extent as we read him. Yeah, so this is on page 161. Uh, as he's about to try to get some precision in his definition and his descriptions of love, he says this. Uh, we cannot see light, though by oh, yeah. light we can see things. Statements about God are extrapolations from the knowledge of other things, which the divine illumination enables us to know. I labor these deprecations because... <laughs> In what follows, my efforts to be clear may suggest a confidence which I by no means feel. Like, I labor at these things, but I'm not confident in them. So maybe you and I shouldn't be either, of like, we really know what he's thinking and it's always right. I should be mad if I did. Take it as one man's reverie, almost one man's myth. If anything in it, he's referring to the rest of the chapter, in this chapter, is useful to you, use it. If anything is not, never give it a second thought. That's a really good quote. Uh, and so I think what we've just kind of tried to encapsulate, I think Lewis, as a humble intellectual, recognized of himself. Mm -hmm. um, which I'm so excited to meet this dude. I know. Um, in heaven, Lord willing. So anyway, that's my, that's my final thing. I'm, I'm good. I think the, I'll, I'll give you like two more. Just one on that line. I think, I don't know if I made this clear earlier, but I would say that if you're a Christian and you've read a bunch on love or you kind of have an idea of biblical love, you understand what that's like. I do think there's stuff in here that's helpful, especially like the friendship one. If I was trying to help someone become friends, like have friends, this book has really helped me think that through. Um, the idea of affection being like the familiar, that's really helped me. So I do think there's stuff in here that was helpful, but I think it, it, it wouldn't be helpful to like a newbie or like an, an, an uh, I don't know how to say immature Christian without being well, a young Christian. And it's, because, it's not the and there's most. there's a, a great reason for that. Like a young Christian needs milk. the milk yeah, of this the is, word. <laughs> this is more like uh, some sort of a very fancy meal that you don't really know how to eat. But when you eat it, you're like, that was really good. But it's it takes like, a while. It's like, it's like smoked ribs. Ooh. You know, they're pretty good. They're not for everybody. And it takes some time. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something you're going to do mm -hmm. like every day of the week, Yep. but you know, on occasion. Yeah, it's good. Know. And then the second thing I would say is, and this is just to some of our listeners, I had a really hard time reading him <laughs> in this book. I don't know why, like literally looking at the words and following, I don't know if it was just the way it was set up. I think actually what it was, this is in my final assessment. I think I have such a theology of love already just from being a Christian that I had some unaware um, expectations of this is how he's going to do this. And it was not at all what I expected. Mm. And I think because I kept, and I didn't notice, it took me like two, three chapters to figure that out. Yeah. But what I did find when I got to these stuck points, I just couldn't follow what he's doing. 
I was so busy that I listened to it on the Alexa app on my iPhone. And when I listened to it, I caught it way better. And so I think you had said it was more conversational, Charlie. Yeah. And I think that is part of why auditorily for my mind that worked really well. But then secondly, I do think since it was conversational, there was something benefiting hearing it and not getting stuck on the words or the sentences or I'm, I can't slow down to think about every word. I have to keep moving. So anyways, listener, if you do attempt this and it is just, you're stuck. Um, if you've got to unkindle, you can use the Alexa for free or if there's an audiobook version, I had a hard time finding an audiobook version. Alexa will read things in Kindle. It will because it's like a, um, it's like an accessibility option that I think they have to build in. So you can open the app and so say, read it. anything I buy in Kindle, they'll Listen. read to me? Mm-hmm. Here is elsewhere, has nothing to say about such matters. And from all we are told, Esau's earthly life was, in every ordinary sense, wow. a good deal more blessed than Jacob's. Can you change her to be like a British-accented man? <laughs> Tell me a joke. What do you call a grizzly without any teeth? So, so my Alexa app, I like the guy's voice better. And so I, are so horrendous. It's such a good one. It's a good so I like the, the guy's bear. voice better, but I tried to change his voice. But for the reading, it's only the Alexa girl voice. I don't, I, I don't know if that's just a limitation. I think they probably want you to buy it on Audible, but they need for people who have it's accessibility. Yeah. yeah, read like visual impairments. They got to offer it. But, but if you're out there and you're listening to this and you think I had a hard time with this book. It may be worth listening. And then the other thing is C.S. Lewis Doodle on YouTube had um, all four chapters, but they were like the broadcast talk versions. And there's visuals. And I really think that helps. It does. It's not. I understand it's not ideal, but if you're stuck, the doodle helps you keep the thought in your mind when you go to the next one. So I would just say, listener, for me, I don't know if, I don't know why, it was more challenging than most books for some reason. And those were helpful tools, and maybe that'll serve you well. Any closing thoughts before Tim is preparing to have a final thought from God's word here? Any other? I'll just say, I really think Lewis is good at perceiving and observing things that go unnoticed. And I think time and time again, what I really like about Lewis is he sees something that's right in front of me that I never saw. And if I could learn to see the way he does, I would just be very, very happy. Sure. So before Tim goes to some passages in the Bible, what could we get an average? Thinkling's goodness scale. So like we each give a number hmm. and we average it and that's our collective number. Sure. I would give it. I have, I have a number in my mind. Let me get my number. Mm, that's tough. Okay. I think I got it. I'm ready. <laughs> Is that a zero? No. no. He's getting ready to say it. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one, go. It's hard. Oh, look at that. Six and a five. I had six and a six five. and a half. So average six. <laughs> Which That's is it? really hard to do with your fingers, Tim. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> How do you do six and a half? So what's what's five? What plus... is this six and a half? So like, okay. it's not on the scale. It has to be a six or a seven. So I okay, fine. It... I'll say seven, which there. means our average is a six. six. There you go. There we go. Clean math. <clears throat> I yeah, think numbers aren't hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> to the guy who gave it a six and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. You're getting a six point seven five next time. <laughs> Figure that one out with your fingers. Okay, Tim, give us give us a closing thought here. So what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
This is the on what hinges all of the law and the prophets. That's it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. When it states, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the idea is that it is the Lord alone. Mm. What is what what competes with God in your life? And the answer should be absolutely mm. nothing. The patriarch Abraham exemplified this to the greatest extent through the offering of his son on the altar. He had wealth beyond measure. He would have freely given that wealth to the Lord. But something that he cherished more than anything, anything was his son, an affection, an affectionate love. Yet he demonstrated how God, his love for God, transcended all loves by being willing to give up everything, his most precious thing, his son, on the altar. And that's our challenge. That's our challenge from the four loves that Lewis even led us through. There can be only one love for us to enjoy the other loves that God has given us. May you love the Lord, the Lord alone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.